Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix International. I'm your host, Juro Sin, and this is Ben Kimber. Evening, Juro. Good evening, Ben. Now, uh, this seat, well, there was going to be a seat for Ben Robinson. Uh, couldn't make it tonight. He's actually doing some more planning for the show, believe it or not. He really wants to go through all the test matches. So he's going to be here next week, and we're going to give him all the questions that you've been throwing into us. And I reckon that's great preparation. So Ben's coming in next week, guys. That's right, mate. Complete the front row. Hey, <laughs> I love it. So uh, he sends his apologies, but he will definitely be here next week and he will be on top of everything. That's what we want. And Ben Kimber, you know what I want? I want the strike issue of the week. Plenty to talk about. Mm. We're going to be disappointed in coming weeks when there's not all these great games to go through and all these big results to talk about. A uh, couple of things went down. The French, of course, had a good old crack at the ABs, didn't quite get there. The Irish squeezed past Australia. We had a massive game between uh, the English and the Argentinians. Uh, Wales and South Africa. But the issue of the week was right across the board. The last couple of weeks it's been brewing, I think, and the weekend really brought it to life. Discipline, cards and referees. There's a lot of confusion there amongst our viewers as to what's going on with some of the calls, whether there's a, a difference between Northern southern Hemisphere, northern, uh, hemisphere referees and Southern hemisphere, hemisphere referees, and just what's going on in the game that it feels like the referees are too much of an issue. Yes, and so there are more cards than at a Vegas uh, card night or in a casino, and I've been dying to use that line for a while. I'll be <laughs> heading there in January. But uh, you know what, Ben? I don't mind it. And I've been on about this for a long time because if you go back a couple of years ago, how many times did you see a referee go to a player in the first five minutes? Don't do it or I have to escalate the issue, meaning I'll pull a card out. And then another 20 minutes later, they say the same thing, but never pull the card out. So the players aren't stupid. They just know, all right, this ref's just full of um, rubbish. He's not going to card us. So they keep pushing the envelope and therefore getting over the advantage line where they shouldn't be, uh, you know, offside when they shouldn't be, doing all sorts of things. And then in the uh, 79th minute, they'll suddenly pull out a card. So the referee's the tough guy. Well, I tell you what, by pulling these cards out now, they're sending a message to players, if you step over the line, you're going to be off. And one of those games was the England game, which had statistically one of, was the worst game ever for cards. The dirtiest game ever, uh, England-Argentina. I think it was Which six, is unfair. Six cards, beat the record by yeah. one, uh, two reds and four yellows. Um, now, you, you're right about those referees who threaten and threaten and threaten and don't I do anything. I can't stand it. I was going to say this, you know, probably the most frustrating thing for yeah. a fan, but probably not the most frustrating. The most frustrating being a referee who calls it wrong all the time, yeah. particularly at the expense of your own team. Um, but absolutely, those referees who don't actually police the game. Now, we're going to be seeing a lot more pressure on the referees to pull the cards out and a lot more focus on what the players are up to because World Rugby has put a few edicts out there. They're trying to, ch to tighten the rules up, tighten the, the focus up on fair play and safe play. So there's going to be a lot more focus on the way people are hitting rucks, tackles, hider tackles, and there may even be that increase in sanctions for those who do step outside of those areas. Now, I think the biggest impact of all of this increase of referees' focus is going to be our old mate, Michael Checker. Oh, really? I do. Michael Checker, I'm a little concerned that the, the, the attitude hasn't improved and you just can't be proud of him and the team after a game when they, when they, can't, when they complain. Okay, so Australia copped a very similar penalty count against them that the All Blacks did the week before. But Steve Hansen was also critical, wasn't he, after the game? He wasn't. He couldn't quite work out how they could have been pinged so many times. So, uh, so they were very similar in that regard, but maybe Checker took it a little bit further. 
Well, I think one of the things Checker said was, you know, to the effect of how you're supposed to win a game with that penalty count. Yeah. Well, mate, looked at the previous week when yeah. the All Blacks the won. All Blacks did, yeah. Well, they won 14-4 yeah. and didn't concede a try. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying could... that Hanson's carry-on was the same, but he, he still asked some questions. Oh, look, I, I don't think there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Yeah. I just think it's the manner and the tone of Checker, particularly after the year he's had where there's been all this focus after, the, you know, Clowngate and all those things that happened um, where he's come out and said, you know, no one's treating us fairly. It just feels like it's too much poor, mate. Mm. I mean, what I think it is, is he, we've said it before, he's a very passionate guy. He, he feels like he's part of the team maybe more than most other coaches out there. He lives and breathes it. And he just doesn't, he's not a good loser. He's just not a good loser. And I think uh, our Kiwi uh, um, viewers on our posts on Facebook and YouTube and on the website and email. Don't forget, you can email us at admin at ruggermatrix.com and we get a lot of those as well. Uh, have pointed out that uh, the All Blacks did it last week and not only did they do it the week before, they stopped Ireland from scoring a try. Yeah, so they did. But let me just talk a little bit more about what Checker said because I think the difference too is that when you look at the game, the All Blacks won and then they, you know, they had a complaint about their penalty count, you know, as coaches will do. Yeah. But I, I look at the way that I think there are certainly incidents we'll talk about in the Ireland-Australia game um, that you might be unhappy about, and I know I was unhappy about as a, as a Wallabies fan. Um, but when you look at the overarching game, it was the Wallabies' own... It was in, within their control to win that game. And I think it was the things that they did wrong that cost them the game more so than massive refereeing decisions. Yeah, OK. So in that regard, what do you think Australia... What did they have to do to control the game and win it because they were down, what, 17 nil? 17 zip, And came yeah. back. And, geez, I love some of their tries. Like yeah. Stephen Larkham's construction of tries yeah. is really starting to come through. They're beautiful. Yeah. And some really nice things to see, you're right, in, that, in the Wallabies game. Mm. I think um, looking at the game as a whole, that first three minutes, I think the Irish learnt from the All Blacks the previous week in terms of starting a game. We mm. talked about the, the way the All Blacks started a game against Ireland that amazing first three minutes previous week. Ireland came out smashing them, right? Absolutely smashing them. And straight away, they were into them. They were, they were uh, declining penalty goals, going for the line. They really wanted to physically get on top of Australia, and they wanted to smash away. And, and Australia did quite well to hang on there. I think it was 18 minutes till the first points, and we saw, uh, we saw them knock over a penalty goal after declining a couple. And that was basically an admittance uh, that the Wallabies had kept them out and had done the job well. Uh, but what we did see then is, is we saw that, that get, get away to 17-0. Mm. They got on top. And I think what the Wallabies were still doing was what we've seen in the past. They were trying to play their up-tempo game, even when they were under the pump, and they didn't take control and slow things down enough. Here it is, here it is. Changing the game to suit... Changing the game. ...to suit the mode of the game. Yep. And this is where Australia struggles. And do you think... I think the fact that they keep messing around with eight and seven in that regard, I just... Oh. Pocock was, again, impressive, but we keep saying it. Yep. He's got to make a decision. Well, let's talk about the back row in particular. I feel it feels a bit ad nauseum for us, mate, yeah. because you know we just we've talked about Checker not winning it at the selection table enough. Yeah. We've talked about the back row, and I think there was a there was a little bit for me of a double issue here. Um, he went for the mobility. He went for the you know for Pocock and Hooper on the field together, but he also went for McMahon on the bench. So he was going to rely on his second rowers more for that punch yeah. um, and that ball carry, um, which he's been doing well with. Right, a few of those guys have been stepping up, but really Tamani went right out of the twenty three. Um, and Tamani has been giving him a bit of that good go forward. And the kind of game where you want to switch it up, you need that big ball-carrying guy who's going to smash it forward and just mm. truck it up a few times and settle things down. But when you don't have that ball-carrying ability, it's much, much harder. Now, what Checker does is he wants to play his game. It's still the same. It's still quite obvious that what he wants to do is play his game. And 
for a period of the game, they did. Wow, there was a good you know half hour, 40 minutes, and they're 24 points either side of half time, yeah. where they really ramped it up and revved it and played sharp and played the game they wanted to play. But I don't think you can do that for 80 minutes. Not against Ireland. Let's show Ireland a bit more respect. I mean, yeah. that team beat the All Blacks a couple of weeks ago and very nearly you know, did it again if uh, they had things go their way against uh, the All Blacks in their second test against them. So I think you need to, to, this is what we keep talking about, developing a different way to play in different parts of the game. And so I think um, the leadership is a big part of that. But but who's driving that from the top? That's the, that's the thing I, I'm worried about. And don't forget... Ireland missed, no Sean O'Brien yeah. missed out, didn't play, uh, late withdrawal. And of course, no Johnny Sexton. And mm. Ireland still won and the game. Sure at 12 as well. Yeah, still won the Yeah, so positional changes yeah. as well. Yeah, and that's a, so clearly, Czech, I want to play that up tempo game. Yeah. Um, and they could play it for times, they couldn't play it the whole way through. And I think, you know, the Irish back row had a superb game, as we knew they would. And I think they needed to match them a bit more physically. And I think the, the man of the match was Van der Fleer. Um, deservedly so, maybe in tandem with Furlong, who had a stonkingly good game again. Yeah, stonkingly. Watch, stonkingly good. Watch this guy, <laughs> the Island Three, uh, for the Lions, for the Irish next year. You've got to keep an eye on this guy. Wow. Yeah, I think the Lions' uh, makeup is going to be really interesting with the Irish players. They're absolutely sensational. It was, a, it was a great effort by them. The atmosphere looked terrific, uh, you know, and, and Ireland did uh, terrifically well uh, in the contest. So what I like about Ireland is they're, they're reveling in the impact zone, aren't they? And, you know, in that channel where uh, Hodge is, they just try to run over the top of him. He had, he had a lot of work to do, didn't he? He did, he did. Uh, they definitely smashed into Hodge. Yeah. They definitely kept an eye on uh, David Pocock a fair bit. Yeah. I think there was a couple of times David Pocock had a word of the ref about being held out and kept down. I know Checker raised it after the game, particularly around that Irish try, and I think in the 34th minute. Now, we have to talk about that. All right. Do you um, want to do it now? I do want to do it now. Yeah. And um, we, we, we try to be unbiased in this show, and I think we do a pretty good job, but I'm going to say quite clearly, I don't think that was a try. All right, I'm going uh, to say it was a try. You're going to say it was a yeah. try? Yeah. Mate. Yeah. Because I don't think the Australian defensive effort was anywhere near stopping the player and nothing happened there that impeded them. Nothing happened there that impeded them. Mm. Mate, we've got a photo of it. You've got to All put right. it up. Yeah, here it All is. Right. We've, got, we've got the ball, a loose pass goes back. Yeah, so it wasn't pre-planned. Uh, it wasn't pre-planned, but that's, pre-planned is irrelevant to the rules, okay? It yeah, no, doesn't no, matter no, if you no. planned it or no, not. We're just setting the scene. You know? okay. It's not sinister. You know. Loose ball back. It wasn't like, yeah, we're going to do this behind Ring Rose picks it. <laughs> Ring Rose picks it up. Yeah. And then he charges back at the line and he just happens to have two massive forwards standing right there, almost in the Wallabies defensive line, in beautiful position. Yes, not planned, but they are in the defensive line and there are two defenders who try to get to him. And it's not a beautiful piece of running or stepping that gets him there. It's the fact that Devon Toner and, and, and the, the Irish loosehead are both standing there. They don't have to do much. A little shoulder from Toner and uh, Rory Arnold and Kepu run into those guys. Mm. So you've got to say, two men standing in the Wallabies defensive line or standing in the way have created that try. It was a very dynamic situation, Ben, and I don't believe Arnold had was, was never going to get him. No way. But I will say this. You can't be serious. I'm serious, and I'm saying he was never going to get him. It was a lame effort. He got a hand on him. I, yeah, what's that going to he do? He got a hand on him, and he hit Toner no. trying to grab him. There was he no hit, way. And if it's NFL, mate, you can have blockers, but you cannot have blockers <laughs> in rugby either. Now, uh, that's a bit different to the uh, lazy runners. I do admit there was a bit of contact from uh, the Ireland players. However, I'm going to give you cut you some slack here, because right. I'm going to say um, I agree with you in one way, because if you disallow that try, right, 
then you are absolutely in line with the fact that Australia's try against the All Blacks in Bledisloe 3 was also disallowed. So Even that Hale at Petty and Severe. Yeah, so it was very minimal contact, technically, you know, against yeah. the law, yeah. but minimal contact. Would he have got him? No, we all know that. We yeah. know the try would have been scored, right? Mm. So uh, if that's the case, then this should have been disallowed. Yeah. All right? So I'll give you that. All right. Well, I'll tell you the other reason that I don't think you can allow it is because one of the reasons it came about was because of that loose ball back, all right? Because the yeah. Wallabies took a step yep. forward, the Island guys held their line, and everyone was sort of looking back at the ball. But what you'll find is if that is allowed, teams will create that. They'll create a situation where the ball goes back a little bit far, so the, so the defensive line's coming up and mixing in with their players. Oh, and it's a bit loose, and, though. And that, but then they'll use it and run through. Yeah, it was a bit loose. It was uh, sloppy because there's a chance of losing the ball. But I, th- I think the other thing, too, about and now that Checker not... Checker just alluding to what's upsetting him yeah. and compl- pointing at world rugby and going, oh, mate, you can't say anything. I've got to go talk to Elaine Roland. It means we don't get an insight into what he's actually upset about as well. So yeah. I'm a bit annoyed about that. You'd love to know, like, if Checker believes the refs played a role in his team losing, apart from that obvious try, uh, no try for me, then then what was it? I wish he I wish he could actually say, these are the things I'm going to table for Alain Roland. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, I think there's there's there can be a situation where if you get penalised way more than the opposition, you deserve it. Yeah. You know, there's no rule to say penalties have to be five each. Yeah. I mean, what, what's that about? Yeah, maybe, maybe you should be able to request a review, you know, um, whenever you like, based on, you know, grounds. So that's well, a good point about... Are. That's a good point. What, what is Checker digging at? Because yeah. he's done his job. He's just thrown the line out there. I can't say anything, but, you know, yeah. we're going to have a go or have a dig anyway. So the Australians need to work out... Um, where the respect lies with the referees, yeah. because it, there's clearly there's something going on. Yeah, and that, and that that to me was not a try, clearly not a try. But the, one of the reasons that you've got to be a little bit more even-headed um, as checker is, I think Haylett Petty's try up the other end, a lot of half times a forward pass, right? yeah, beautifully constructed yeah, try. Beautiful, yeah. But I think you know, I think that's what we're doing here. We're playing NFL, yeah. right? We had some blockers up the other end, and we had a forward pass down the other end. So oh. clearly there's some NFL rules involved. Look, I mentioned quickly about blocking, you know, the right. decoy runners throwing them up the line and. I know uh, we had one of our um, viewers last week say, yes, please talk about decoy runners because they're everywhere and it is a blight on the game. And I quickly mentioned last week, I think it's a weak way of tactically trying to get an advantage. And it really is. It's it's like, you know, let's throw a couple of guys in there and hope the referees don't ping us and we'll get an advantage because the defenders are taking out a play. Uh, But every guy's putting their hand up saying they're they're absolutely interfered with. So I just think uh, we might be able to go into more detail down the track, particularly when we get Ben in talking about that sort of stuff. So, um, and uh, as a uh, loose head prop, he'd be all over that. Yeah, that's right. Um, the final penalty count, I think, was 13-3 uh, in the in the Ireland-Australia game. Was it 14-4 the week before? 14-4 the week before. Basically, in three games, uh, I think the Irish have considered 4-4 and three penalties. Excuse their well-behaved. So, I mean, again, what, are, what is Checkers' grounds if three different referees in three weeks have seen that the Irish team are a very disciplined side and not giving away penalties, and the other team has? What, what grounds? I'd love to know what Checker wants to talk to Roland about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the other point is the Grand Slam dream is over. It is. And, and uh, I think, well, we predicted it, that, that until they met Ireland and England, they really haven't really begun this tour. Yeah, it's over a bit, but that was much tighter than I thought it would be. Um, you know, they, they, the Wallabies, I thought, played some good rugby. Yeah, but don't and, forget of Ireland's injuries as well. They were missing key, key players. Yeah, that's an excellent point, and it's a point, actually, I wanted to make. Um, 
talking about another point in the game, uh, and I've got another photo of this, because yeah. we talked about that mobility in the back row and what it does give you, and it does give you advantages, but whether it lets you play the balanced game that you need to. All right, so the, what have we got? The ability to chug up. So throw up a photo. This is a view from behind of the try, or the, the, the moments before the try in the 56th minute, um, when Naivalu cuts through off a, fo- off a, off a Foley cutout pass. Yeah, good pass. try. It was a good try, beautifully constructed, and, and Australia were very much on the front foot, moving the ball, and they were really shifting it well, good hands. Um, finding a bit of space. Smartly what they were doing was they were also attacking that their right-hand edge, the Irish left-hand edge defence, because the Irish had their replacement halfback on the wing there. They lost three, starting with Kearney, who went out early with concussion, I think. They lost three backs, and they were they were struggling. Mm. So they were, they were tired, they had blokes in the wrong position, and Australia really started to hack away at them and find those spaces. But the reason I put that picture up is because what you can see is... Um, uh, you can see Pocock and Naivalu. So the ball's already left Genia's hands. The ball's starting to go. But you can yeah. see Pocock and Naivalu setting a good pace around the back. And if you go and watch it on the tape from the game, they really they come, they, they come stre- streaking around and they create those extra men. Um, they create that space. They put the pressure on the Irish 22. And then Naivalu runs a beautiful line. So it was just an, an, a spot where I saw that mobility was paying off with Pocock really playing an important role of getting from one side of the park after some really busy work right across to the other. And the other guy to mention is, we talked about in the last two weeks, and I said we're seeing good things. Naivalu, I think, is shaping to be a very, very good Australian winger. Strength, lines, um, maybe hands to it, you've still got to keep an eye on. But really, uh, his awareness of the game and the way he's running, I think, are very impressive. Yeah, they are. Interesting, I've noticed a lot of chip kicks in the last few weeks. And, you know, in the old days, it's like, don't chip kick, ban. And Curly Beal used to do it all the time, but he's good at it. But there are a lot of chip kicks and uh, some impressive ones as well. And I was watching that Scotland-Georgia uh, game. It was 43-16 uh, in favour of Scotland. And they were playing on one of those hybrid pitches. And it was a fantastic game to watch. And, Jesus, what a great series, hasn't it? Yeah. The Autumn Series across oh, the board. But the chip kick's been really a really good weapon. And I'm thinking that you know, with, with defences being so good as they are now, that the chip kick's made a bit of a, a renaissance. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is, uh, you know, one of the other questions we've had from one of our viewers is everyone trying to play footy like the All Blacks? And the answer is probably, in a lot of ways, because, you know, if you could have all members of your forward pack who can handle, you know, why would you ever not? Yeah. Um, but with the chip kicks and the grubbers, I think there's been a lot of uh, teams attempting that real heat from yeah. their defensive line, getting up fast, getting in their face. Um, and we see the teams that then want to, you know, one of the ways to try to defuse that is make them think twice, right? Yeah. Um, I think I saw Machineau, the, the French number nine, pull a couple of nice moves against the All Blacks in holding the ball up. That's one way to do it. Holding yep. the ball up, the, the defence comes out a bit and creates yep. a bit of space. But the other is chips and grubbers. Yep. And we saw that right in a few games. Mostly they're rubbish, right? Yeah. They're very hard to effectively do a good chip or, or grubber or to pull it off. Um, but you can see why they do it. They want to change the game. They do, and it helps if the surface is a bit harder. You're generally going to get a better bounce. It'll come up to about your midriff, yeah. so that's what you're looking for. But if they are rushing up a defence, a chip kick not only means that you've got forward momentum and pushing through, the big turnaround for the opposition is defending. is really hard. It's like turning yeah. a big chip around. So uh, it's, it's, it's good to see. But, you know, things ebb and flow, so people will start allowing for that, dropping a player back, that sort of thing. So, yeah, this uh, toing and froing between defence and attacks really interesting at the moment. But yeah. that was one of the other trends I noticed. But, you know, please get rid of these decoy runners. I'm yeah. sick of them. One last question, a comment to close out the, uh, the Ireland-Australia yeah. um, game. Yeah, uh, Ireland, um, as I said, came out firing. They ended up with 60% of, of possession and territory, 60-odd, um, which basically means you know the, the, the penalty count should fall in your favour anyway if you're doing most of the attacking Correct. play. 
um, uh, the Irish team, I thought, were really impressive in the way they closed the game out. They had players missing in the backs. They had pressure on them from Australia. Australia played an up-tempo game, couldn't, con couldn't maintain it, and I think the Irish did really well to come back late. And I do want to just mention um, Furlong again. I mentioned him earlier in the show, but really keep an eye on this guy. Check out the 70th minute, if, if, you, if you will, when this guy's been in the scrums. He's been around the park all day. He's been hammering the ball up. I think he had four or five runs. And in the 70th minute, Australia's on the attack again. Um, there's a, they're, they're on about the 22, and you can see Furlong in the middle of the park. Ball goes left through, I think, Falau, Kurandrani to Hodge. Hodge spills the ball about 10 metres out. And again, too many drop balls from Australia mm. when they're trying to play that up-tempo game. But Furlong, the tight head prop, has come sweeping around to get in that defensive line, got over the ball and picked the ball up. Yeah. It was a knock-on anyway. But he was just still hammering, still flying, and this guy is hard and strong. I said it a couple of weeks ago, I thought they were much fitter, Ireland, mm. than they uh, used to be, and uh, they were terrific again. And the winning try was sensational. The build-up to it, the hard impact that they um, were able to come up with with their one-on-one hit-ups was enormous, and when they spread the ball wide, uh, was electrifying, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it, was just, it was brilliant stuff. Yeah, and that's right. And to, and to refine, to really yeah. dig for that energy late in the game, I thought that was excellent. Oh, especially when, when a team overwhelms you, when you lead 17-0 and then you're trailing, it really is a kick in the guts. But the, for them to come back again and keep playing to the end, finding another yeah. gear, that's a great thing for Ireland. So, uh, yeah, well done. It was, a, it was terrific to see, and it shows that Ireland are not a flash in the pan. They're the real deal, yeah. and um, I can't wait for them to play some uh, Southern Hemisphere teams again mm. very soon. And a tough beat for the Wallabies, right? They put a lot out in the park. The slam was there. They could see it. It would have set up England beautifully. I said 65% chance, and I reckon, you know, if they lose the next test, uh, that works out pretty much right. I don't, know, I don't know about your maths, mate. Oh, come on, okay. So they no, beat no, Let's not get into your maths. Hey, hey that's about two-thirds. <laughs> I think I'm pretty much spot on. Two-thirds, yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. All right. 65%, you know. We can't, and we've got to throw, you throw the midweek game in. Can if you like. So, um, because uh, we saw the uh, Corabetti. Yeah. Uh, had made his debut for the uh, Australia, well, the Wallabies The Wallabies 15, 15 yeah. against the French Barbarians. Touched the ball about once or twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Beatty apparently, I didn't see the game. Uh, it was streamed, I think, Rugby Combo, you streamed yeah. it, but I didn't happen to catch the game. Yeah, but I saw a bit of it. The account said that Beatty started strongly but didn't really get involved much. Um, I think we probably saw more out of some older Wallabies. I think Ben Mullen played and Mark Gerrard was the, with the yeah, report. Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. Right. I only saw the end of it, but uh, yeah, it was a great atmosphere. It was pretty. Uh, it, was least, it was great to see that they, they streamed the game back uh, to Australia, So, Good which one. is pretty cool. A uh, couple of... Uh, let's move on to uh, the All Blacks. And uh, the All Blacks, well... They beat France. It was 24 points to 19. Uh, they did look like uh, it was a long, long, the end of a long, long year. And they got the job done. And that's what great teams do. Even when they're not playing that well and tired, they still win. And France, you know, we talked about them being enigmatic. And um, they uh, certainly came to play, didn't they? They sure did. Your point is right. The All Blacks did look tired. They didn't look like they had the zip or the spark or the ideas. Um, they'll be thanking. They'll be down on their knees thanking Bowden Barrett for uh, a couple of things. Um, you know, a pinpoint kick and an intercept. Oh, beautiful try. kick! Uh, but they really, they they didn't look like they had it going on the All Blacks. Uh, that said, France stepped up, and it was excellent to see. I want you want to see French rugby back to its best, and and that's a good step forward for for French rugby. Um, they were they weren't afraid. They were smashing away. They were moving the ball around. They had some new guys put their hands up and show they can play, and they were unlucky. They were unlucky mm. not to not to steal that one. 
you know, that almost that, uh, you know, probably a, a 12 or 14 point turnaround for that Bowden Barrett intercept. Because, yeah. I mean, you look at the three All Blacks tries and, and you know, let's be frank, they're kind of ordinary tries from what we expect from the All Blacks this year or, or the, the quality of play they have. You know, they come out with a nice uh, tactic to, ch- to test out the, those big Fijian wingers mm. that paid off almost immediately with that sensational kick from Barrett. Yeah. Um, then there's an intercept. And then there was a bit of a run of the mill for the All Blacks tried, you know, with, uh, with Falmina running off. And I think uh, Kieran Reid, at the end of a, a number of phases, hit the line, popped it to Barrett. The commentators were talking about what a great pass Barrett put on, but I think Barrett lost the ball backwards. He said, oh, God, back it went from Scott Barrett. He'll take it. Uh, and then uh, Falmina, Falmina scored. <laughs> Um, but uh, really, just a, just a, a solid hit out for the All Blacks, but didn't show any of the, the, the sharp work that we would expect from them, or mm. and particularly tactically. Barrett, and the kicking game was pretty poor. So I think they had that tactic of getting at those wingers, but they also, there was a few grubbers and a few chip, chip kicks that just seemed very un-All Blacks. Um, you know, didn't seem to create as much as they would want to. And even, there was even a crappy grubber in there somewhere too. Yeah. Don't forget, like everyone was talking about how Ireland were going to be beaten up after playing the All Blacks and then heading into the Australian game. Well, that absolutely is the case with the All Blacks as well. They were beaten up against Ireland as well. It was a pretty torrid affair. And to have to face France, who have got some big physical bodies, mm. was just as tough. And at the end of the year, you know, the All Blacks have, uh, you know, what, they lost one test? And... Um, You've got to say it's a pretty successful year. And I'll say this, the best thing in the, for New Zealand was losing against Ireland in Chicago, but the worst thing for the rest of the world is for New Zealand losing in Chicago because it means they refocus and reset for the next World Cup and they'll be driven all the way through. Yeah, it's true. And I think, uh, you know, the French team that turned up against the All Blacks was different to the, the, the one the Wallabies knocked over the yeah. week before. They were much, much better structured, much sharper. Uh, but I think the All Blacks, you know, are hands on a walk away with things to fix and questions to ask. I think, you know, one of the, some of the things are clearly in the front row, whether they've got that depth worked out, whether those guys are going, you know, the way mm. that they want them to looking ahead. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, plaudits for Israel Dagg in the Kiwi press that I was reading. Uh, he's not Ben Smith, though. Uh, you no. know, I think that was noticeable that he doesn't bring that, that uh, fantastic connection with Bowden Barrett, where though Smith and Barrett switch in and out. The All Blacks lose something or something significant when Smith goes out. So to put Dag at the back and have the two big wingers meant that the creativity went backwards, even if Dag did have a good game. Yeah, you've got to keep Ben Smith around for the next World Cup. There's no doubt about yeah. that. He needs to be there. And this brings me to, uh, which they've done well in the past with players like Richie and Dan Carter, mm-hmm. uh, is give them a good rest at Super Rugby yeah. level next year. Who do you reckon needs the longest rest? Oh, our, Kieran Reid. Our old mate, Kieran yeah. Reid. Kieran Reid needs a rest. Like, I'm not going to write him off. I think he needs a rest. He's such a great player, and he just looks tired, I think. He, he, he just, he wasn't, he, he, we've said it before, he wasn't the, the man that we know he mm. can be as a player. And, and, and I think some of the concerns would be as a captain. He, he, didn't, he doesn't seem to be taking the game by no. the throat as a captain. He needs a break. And I made a point of trying to listen to the commentary, and I think in, the, in, in all the game he was mentioned like three times, and, and one of those was for, for, for getting pushed off. Um, he didn't have a big game again when I thought he probably needed one. He needs a rest. Anton Leonard-Brown didn't really see the ball. We didn't see much of him. And you could tell that uh, Hanson was concerned with the way that the French were taking them on up front, smashing away, because um, he pulled the ripcord early. Mm. I think he did it once in the, in the rugby championship when they were under the, under the pump. Um, uh, and this time you could really see, all of a sudden, I think it was about the 45th minute, or the 46th minute, very, very early, on came Rico Iwani. Uh, also, um, Scott Barrett came on, off went Retallick, off went Crotty, tried to mix it up, brought the props on soon after, and really needed to shake that team up, and even then, didn't get the shake-up that he was used to from his bench. 
Yeah, so New Zealand are doing the job though, and uh, as you would expect. So only one blemish on the scorecard this year, and what an extraordinary effort. The talk about whether it's the greatest, we've done this before, about whether it's the greatest team of all time. Uh, I will say this, um, I don't think it is the greatest team of all time because of the teams I've seen um, up close and through the years of New Zealand rugby because you can have a really great team. It could be the best team of all time, but if there's a team better than you in world rugby, then it means that you're sort of hidden from view because they win all these test matches, but you could have had a better team against better opposition. So it's, it's hard to judge uh, which is the better team. So um, uh, it's a tough one and only history will tell over many, many years. Yeah, history will tell, but I'm prepared to make a call on this season mm. myself. And I, I'm going to stand by what I said a number of weeks back. This is a very good all-black side, but I don't think it's been tested until it got up to Ireland. It hasn't been tested as much as all-blacks teams of the past. Yeah. You know, the, the South Africa and Australian efforts this year have been poor in both the rugby championship and, and following that. The Wallabies have improved, but nonetheless... Really what's gone on, I think, is we've seen a, a great all-black team not get the sort of competition that would tell us just how good they are in a lot of ways. Now, that might sound like a harsh call, but it's a similar sort of call I'm going to make on Bowden Barrett. I would pick Dan Carter every day and a week on Sundays to stick him in at 5'8 ahead of Bowden Barrett. I think Bowden Barrett's a great player, but he is no Dan Carter yet. Well, not yet. No, I think it's too, yeah, it's too early absolutely. To, to call that. Well, that's what I mean. You, know, you, you can't call them the best team ever when you've got a 5-8, I think. The guy who just hung up the boots was, was a better player. Yeah, absolutely. So, well done, New Zealand. 24 points to 19. The French doing their bit. There's just one moment I want to point out. Now, I haven't got a photo for this one, but there was a really interesting exchange because we talked before about Wayne Barnes mm. uh, as the referee and his history with the All Blacks being what it is. Now, I actually, I thought Barnes didn't do too bad a job. Uh, well, let's just say the errors he made, he made both ways. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could say he was too much on the All Blacks unless you had a real hard look at his conversations with TJ Perinara around the base of the ruck, yep. uh, particularly in the 45th minute. Uh, Le Devedec, uh for the French, he climbed through the ruck and stood on the ball and TJ was just getting his hands on the ball and Devedek went through him and, uh, and TJ shouted at Wayne Barnes, on the halfback and... <laughs> then said a word that rhymes with duck, which I won't say uh, uh, mm. on a family program like ours. Uh, but Barnes Very goes, family friendly. Barnes said, I thought it was a good tackle, mate. Uh, and he said, you can't, TJ said, you can't attack the half. And he said, you can when you've got the ball. And you roll the tape forward another 10 minutes. Uh, and TJ's complaining again about rules and Barnes is into him. There's another rule about us having a proper dialogue, mate. So you could really see, I don't think TJ handled that well. Handled that well. And it just showed, you know, an example of, I think, TJ getting his ref management wrong. The same way, say, Stephen Moore and Checker and the guys yeah. have. If you look like a whinger rather than you want to have to have a discussion with the ref, it's never going to go well. Yeah, you've got to you'll be really clever how you work over the, the yep. referee in those regards. So, yes, sir, please, sir. And then uh, you'll find you'll get a bit of a better run. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, cheeky halfbacks, eh? Yeah. They're always around. Uh, so uh, just a couple other things. So South Africa and Wales. We can take care of two things. So Wales uh, actually ended up having a pretty successful uh, autumn series. Yeah. But don't be too happy about it because uh, the victories uh, might disguise a few things. And they beat South Africa, uh, what, 27 points to 13. And this was the worst South African performance, even though they made some changes. Worse than Italy. Yeah, I think so, because there are times in this game where they absolutely did not know what they were doing. Like, they just dropped the ball, literally dropped the ball completely. And I think uh, the Italian game was a bit different. This one, I thought, was just diabolical. And uh, I think, uh, and then as a result, uh, in South Africa, sweeping reviews coming. 
and they'll definitely have to remove the coach next year. I've got some ideas about that, but uh, over to you, Ben. What do you think? Yeah, look, they've called the review. They've talked about, you know, not in so many words, the embarrassment of their season. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, Curtsy rang some changes, tried to make a few, uh, you know, mix it up, bring some lines, yeah. plans in and get a bit more of the combo and the cohesion yeah. there. Wasn't there. The thing that I would think would be most disappointing for the South Africans was the ticker didn't seem to be there. Um, I, I wrote a couple of preview pieces on our Facebook page ahead of the games talking about what I was going to look at. And one of the things was I thought, you know, with Strauss playing his last international game and he's been a great servant for Springbok rugby, I thought his team might turn up more for him and, and he'd get stuck in and they'd follow him. Just didn't happen. No. And that's the thing. They really didn't look like they were playing for each other in that game. And uh, it was almost uh, counterproductive bringing those Lions players in because I think you'd probably want them coming into a fresh environment. Yeah. So... We do, is, want to do, we do want to do a show on South African rugby though, yes. in the, in, after the test matches because we've got to talk about what's going on in South African rugby and what they might need to do to fix it. You know, I was going to throw my suggestion to fix it, but I'm going to hold it because okay. I, I, want, I want to hold it because I just don't want to fire my uh, gun off yet because I okay. do have a suggestion and I think you'll like what I'm going to suggest. All right. All right. I look forward to it. The, the plan to save South African rugby here first on uh-huh. Rugged Matrix. So tune in, and I think it's a better place as we get into the all next right. couple of weeks. All right. Um, all right, so, uh, and uh, we just want to go back quickly on the England result, 27-14 over Argentina. Vinopola is out of the test match against Australia. Massive. That is a huge bonus for yeah. Australia. This guy can pick up whole rucks and throw them around. <laughs> and uh, he got injured uh, in the game against Argentina, and England won in the end, but... Uh, <laughs> We did see technically the dirtiest game with all those cards, yeah. but in the end, um, they did the job and beat them. They did. Vernapola out is massive. What will be interesting is is the back row that Eddie selects and the back row then that Checker selects. Eddie's already lobbing bombs. He's talked about how Australia will have six weeks on the beach and think they're the kings of Australia <laughs> if they beat England. He's already called out that he wants to talk to Jaco Pepe, the, 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 the ref, about the scrum. So he's got the scrum on the agenda already. Um, but in this game in particular, uh, I think, sorry, to, to finish that point, if Vernapola is out, uh, you know, it would have been interesting, I think, if Checker would have gone in with Pocock and Hooper and a lighter back row when you've got a guy like Billy, Billy Vernapola who's going to absolutely truck it up big time. And I don't think it would have worked. Now, just on that game, I think one thing to call it is there were the two red cards. Elliot Daly took out Senatore, had to go. Yeah. Accident, not intentional, doesn't matter. Player in the air, you cannot take their legs out. Well worth a red card. Joe Marler was the other one, um, held uh, Enrique Pareto. Enrique stepped on his head. He got a red card. Great refereeing by Pascal Guazere. Well refereed. Two cards, guy on the ground, and the guy who got a boot in the face. This is where the yellow cards work, and they need to clear out um, and, and make a, take a, a real message to the players on the field by sending the cards. I'm just looking at a tweet here from Cobus Visa just about an hour ago. He says, it really angers me and saddens me at the same time to see the UK press calling the Springbok team the worst ever. So I don't think he's uh, arguing with them. He just, he's just sad about it. Big right. Cobus Visa. Because they look like the worst ever. Yes. Uh, okay, let's go to the strike viewer comments. All right, just a few this week, um, but let's get into it. Uh, thanks, out, shout outs to Damien Quinn, Gerald Williamson, Unus Amplus Ursus, Rugby fan NZ on, on YouTube, Will M, Evan Gellist, uh, Malke Malke for his top five teams, uh, Jacob Kelly for a, a good comment which came in late on foreign coaches in the Northern Hemisphere and their impact on that. Uh, but the two guys I want to call out uh, for the comments of the week, uh, Brendan Paramore and Patrick Durkin, uh, particularly because uh, last week Brendan Paramore was complaining about the Irish commentators for the New Zealand game and saying they weren't good enough. I said they were okay. And then Patrick Durkin dropped me a note <laughs> this week and said... Uh, 
how'd you feel this week, Ben? And the, the truth of the matter is, I didn't really enjoy the Irish. No, they were a bit over the top, weren't they? Oh, they were just they were too they were too effusive in their praise of nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I think if you know if they'd have done their shoelaces up, the commentators would have said, "Wow, what a great effort <laughs> the from the greatest Irish shoelaces of all time." That's the best bow I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, they got um, they got carried at, away. At one point, they gave they were they were raving about the Irish scrum and how it got on top of the Wallabies, but it was a seven man Wallabies scrum. They didn't on, mention mate. that fact. It's been a hundred years after the New Zealand. So anyway, anyway, I didn't enjoy it as much. So thank you, Patrick, for pointing that out, and apologies for. To Brendan.